Okay, welcome back to the Birth Booth Podcast with me, your host, Annie. Joining me today, we have the fabulous Rachel Werbeng. Rachel is the author of Hyperemesis Gravidarium, A Bay Mother's Story, and the founder of the Mother's Network, Mummy's Day Out. Rachel has been courageously sharing her story about the realities of HG and has been actively campaigning for support for women with HG. So, Rachel, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me on. (laughs) Great. Um, Before we get into this, here on the Mm -hmm. birth booth, we like to kick things off with an icebreaker question. Are you ready? Yeah. Good. So, if you were stranded on a desert island, what two things would you bring and why? Um, Oh, I think firstly, I'd bring my Bible um and i would bring a notepad and pen mm-hmm. um and the reason for that is i'm guessing i'd be stranded on the island with probably no way to charge my phone so mm-hmm. i won't need that um and i'm a firm believer of journaling and writing down you know how you feel and what you've experienced so i think journaling would probably be the safest way for me to do that if i'm alone on an island with no one to share my feelings with and my bible because yeah i'm gonna need to draw on my strength from god and, <laughs> and my faith to just withstand the whole isolation on an island <laughs> um but yeah those are probably the two things i'd, I'd want to take great. Um, <laughs> great so i know you you know you and i we've had our conversations um but my audience we might not know you and your amazing work so can you right. tell us a little bit about yourself Sure. Um, so I'm, um, I trained as a teacher. Um, I teach people to work with children um, and teach business courses and things like that. Um, however, when I got pregnant, I became um, very unwell with a condition called hyperemesis. Um, and so I was quite isolated throughout my pregnancy. And when I came, when I managed to um, have a baby, I had a lot of women around me who had also given birth and a lot of friends of friends who had also given birth. So I've always been kind of into PR and and putting on events and things like that. So I decided, you know, what, I'm going to bring all these mums together so we can all meet up and do things that we've always liked to do. And we just had a really nice time. There were 16 women there. We had afternoon tea in the um, Holiday Inn in Stratford. And that was the birth of Mummy's Day Out, which is a network I run. It now has over six and a half thousand um, people that um, connect mm. with us. Um, we have a WhatsApp group, a supportive WhatsApp group, where we just discuss all things. You know, it could be anything that's bothering anyone or you need a little bit of advice or there's a new voucher gone out that's going to mean that you can get your child's new shoes for half price and things like that. We just have day-to-day um banter in there really as I've just gone on you know because of how horrendous my hyperemesis um, experience was anyone that will listen I will tell them about hyperemesis anywhere I go I will speak on hyperemesis because I just felt like no one really knew what it was and me or knew me having it Um, and that then led on to me saying do you know what I need to put this in the book and I need to tell it from the perspective of a black woman but that can relate for Asian and minority ethnic. For us who don't know what HG is can you talk to us about what HG is and how it affected you during your pregnancies? 
Sure. So, oh gosh. So hypermesis gravidarum is a, a debilitating condition that can make you um, vomit up to, I don't know, like you can even vomit 30, 40 times a day, 50 times a day. Um, it basically is severe um, nausea and sickness um, during pregnancy. And it can go from, you know, week six all the way to till the end of the pregnancy. It can stop maybe at 20 weeks. It can stop at, you know, it can just do what it wants, basically. Um, and this condition, uh, it, it could be genetic. It could be hormonal. There's still a lot of research going on into it. Um, there are some links. But for me personally, I found myself pregnant, which was a which was absolutely fantastic news um and as soon as I became pregnant I was it was like I was on a roller coaster every single minute of the day and I couldn't get my head around what was happening because I'd never heard of high premises so I would tend to be almost like on a literally on a roller coaster like going up and down up and down just feeling like I'm wavy all the time mm. and um I would be throwing up ridiculous amounts to the point where I would get bloodshot in my eyes because blood, blood vessels would burst um my teeth would be you know literally breaking um my weight loss you know my weight just dropped um and then it would get quite dangerous where I'd get to the point where I would um become very dehydrated and have ketones in my urine have to be admitted into hospital and be on a drip um and the sickness was so bad that I had to take, you know, three different types of tablets a day, um, every day. And with me, my hypermesis was up until I pushed the baby out. So I had it all the way to the end. Um, and it was not very nice at all. It was horrible, actually. It was awful. <laughs> I can only imagine. Did you have HD for each of your pregnancies or was it just one pregnancy? So, um, so with me, um, I initially, I had a, I had a, um, my first pregnancy, I had HG. Um, I didn't get a diagnosis of HG until I was about 11 weeks. Um, however, I had been being sick from probably about, I think it was maybe around the, the early weeks, like sort of five, six weeks, I would already started being really, really poorly. And I'd seen a doctor, got my diagnosis around 11 weeks because I was actually admitted into hospital after you know several weeks of just not being able to hold anything down um and so in hospital got my diagnosis came home and then unfortunately I lost the baby um so that was my first experience of HG I was told that potentially I might not get it again <laughs> it's a lie <laughs> I got it again um with the pregnancy with my daughter my rainbow baby um, and I had it, you know, all the way up to, ch to, the, to the moment I gave birth to her. And then with my son at six weeks, I literally started having my HD symptoms and had it all the way until he was born as well. So to answer your question, I've had it three times and I probably would get it again. <laughs> what was, talk to me about what, um, or talk to us about what day to day was like. Like, what was a typical day in your uh, shoes? Okay, so th there were two different types of days. So <clears throat> there were days when I could actually 
function somewhat so on a day where let's say I was going to work so I've you know been off for months and I've finally got to a point where I've now can go to work um so I'd wake up and I'd take before I'd get off the bed um I'd take something I'd take um a metroclopamide I think it was I used to take at that point so I'd take a tablet and I'd just stay there so I'd have to wake up earlier than I usually would to make sure that I can do all of this process. Take a tablet and then get up and then try and do the immediate stuff I needed to do for myself, which is, um, you know, shower and stuff like that. But after that, I'd have a cup of tea straight away because I knew that I would need to be sick or potentially could be sick. So if I don't have anything in me, what's going to happen is I'm just going to get dehydrated anyway. So I need mm. to put something in. So I'll try and have a cup of tea Um which was my preferred thing. And just for those listening, there is nothing I could have had that would have made me not be sick. It just, there was no have this instead of this. So my preferred thing was just to have a cup of tea um, and then pause a bit, wait, and then get dressed. And potentially whilst I'm getting dressed or after I've just got dressed, I'll start being sick. Deal with all of that. And then pull yourself together and then go out and get in the car but when I get in the car I would always carry a bag spare clothes cleaning materials a bottle of water to pour on anywhere that if I got sick on something I'd be able to actually wash it down um you know and I'd have that in my car and I'd with my uh pregnancy with my daughter I remember I used to get to this particular point and if I hadn't been sick there then there was another point so I knew where to park up because I'd need to stop because it's so violently sick that I need to stop and actually allow myself to just let it out. Um, And then I would make my way to work. So probably on my way to work, I'd have to pull over maybe once or twice even, um, get to work and then figure out whether or not I need to change my clothes, whether or not I've wet myself because I've vomited so much or so uncontrollably, like I haven't been able to control, you know, whether I need to wee or not um so I tend to wear a pad most of my in fact all of my pregnancy I wear a pad tenor ladies or you know just thick pads because when you're vomiting is so violent that you could just end up um weeing yourself a little bit <laughs> um and I get to work and I'd find something to eat and I'd probably get to lunchtime and as soon as I'd get to lunchtime I remember with my pregnancy with my daughter I'd have something to eat but my thing would be to rush and go and lie down afterwards. And we had like a medical area and I'd go and lie down there and allow the food to go in. I would have taken my medication as well. And literally it was like clockwork. But the thing would happen is at that lunchtime bit, if I go and lie down and I come back from that and start being sick, I know it's a wrap. I know I've got to go home. But if I can go through that and still get up and then go back to work then I'm good and so that was the system I had when I was working on another day when no systems were working it was wake up lift my head up and be sick and go back down and stay down and it was very isolating the room was always dark I'd just have the lights off I'd be in the bed I'd have a bucket and I would just stay there and if I had help, then they would bring me stuff to the room, but nothing, I couldn't eat it. So it was, they will not bring me food. It was just like little things like, oh, here's a cup of tea. Try that. Here's a bit of water. Try that. Here's, here's a biscuit. Try that. And it was, 
literally small little and little bits of food often um but I would still be sick and I would cry a lot I'd be in the room you know crying and just thinking about how horrible this is um thinking about how much of a burden I was on everyone around me and it was just horrible and it was painful because the vomiting hurts Mm. you know you get to a point where you're vomiting bile so everything just feels like it's on fire um you're weak you know and it just got to the point where you just have to just lie in the bed like what's the point there's no point me moving because I'm going to be sick so I'll just lie here and be sick in any way which probably wasn't the best thing to do um I didn't let anyone come and see me and if they did come and see me they'd probably irritate me by something they'd either (laughs) say or do Uh, yeah because everybody wants to help and everybody wants to fix the problem but it cannot be fixed by anything that you are going to do so even if someone comes in with a with the perfume on it's a wrap you've made me feel sick go away if you come in and just talk about the mess or anything that's going on it's a wrap you've made me upset now because I know that physically I'm unable to do these things and emotionally I was just it's just too difficult for me to even articulate to you because you don't get it (laughs) and it was really 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 hard um and even culturally you know taking medication while pregnant it's just not something that we do Um, it's not something I've been raised to do or, or ever known a woman who's pregnant to take medication. Um, even my mum, I say this, in my, she says this in my book, she's like, she only thought that women can take paracetamol and vitamins when they're mm-hmm. pregnant. That's it. So imagine me popping all these pills all day just to stay afloat. Um, it was very, very intense and very, very hard. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like you were going through a load of emotions during this time yes and for nine months and then with you know three consecutive I mean with two consecutive pregnancies after the first one I can only imagine yeah what you must have been feeling can you talk to us about your feelings what emotions were you kind of going through during this period yeah I think you know when I found out what was wrong with me because when I was in hospital there was a lady opposite me an Asian lady she had hyperemesis but she seemed to know what was going on so she just explained to me that she'd had this thing this hd thing before and um so her family were well aware of the you know the complications that it was it was fine they was all really understanding she was more just annoyed with it and really she told me some really dark thoughts that she was having and i thought to myself whoa okay um, but I was just super excited to have a baby. Um, and when they gave me the diagnosis, if I'm honest, I was so happy. I was like, thank God I actually yeah. know what on earth is going on. Why am I in hospital? Why am I here strapped to drips every time? But no, none of my friends were in this situation. So I was quite happy when I got the diagnosis. What I didn't know was what it really was. <laughs> um, and so when I lost the first pregnancy obviously it was awful I was like my body's broken my body didn't doesn't know how to handle this and so on so I went through a lot of emotions of I need to show everybody that my body can do this I need to show myself that my body can do this um and so when I got pregnant again and I got her promises again it was very dark it was very sad um it was kind of you know it was almost like fighting myself with oh my god I'm so super happy that I'm pregnant again but oh my goodness why is my body not working like 
women's bodies are supposed to work like why is my body doing this to me um and then there were other emotions like like when someone's having an event and I couldn't go and I felt really left out and really isolated really tearful you know like really sad and I don't believe that at one point I wasn't happy that I was pregnant I was just not happy with the situation I was not happy with what was happening to me I love the fact that I could have a baby and I think with regards to faith and you know being um an African black woman it's it's taboo to talk bad of a situation that's a blessing yes you know what I mean so it's like how can you be sad when you went through a miscarriage you've been blessed with a new you know a new pregnancy come on happy yourself you know smile but it's so difficult to do when your esophagus is just on fire your belly's hurting you know your legs are tired you've lost all this weight and you just feel so isolated. I was alone. Um, and I, I draw back to a time in my third pregnancy when <laughs> I was at the top of the stairs at my, um, my husband was going out. So he dropped me. We had a system where he would drop me to my cousin's house at that point because I had another child. So there was no way I could do this on my own. So he dropped me off and he was going to an event and we had agreed that he should go and stuff like that. And I was at the top of the stairs and I just thought to myself, do you know what, if... I just fall. Maybe I can stop myself vomiting. And obviously that's just a, a really ridiculous thing to think. Yeah. But and talk to not... me, talk to me a bit more about that. Like what what drove you to that point? Because that's quite that's quite a statement you just made there. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd been being sick all day. Um, my daughter, you know, she was still young and I'd been being sick all day and it was just like Oh, and I'm being driven to someone else's house for them to look after me, a whole me, you know, a whole big woman, a whole mother. I'm going to be looked, me and my child are going to be looked after by someone else so he can go out. I'm watching him get dressed and go where he needs to go. And the thing is, I wanted him to go because I think it was a funeral or something and he needed to go and represent us. Um, So it it wasn't like he did, we didn't agree, Um, but I felt like a burden. I felt like such a burden. And I think the significance of that week was that it was week 14. And, you know, again, I had allowed people to tell me that, well, maybe it will stop at 12 weeks. Damn, I know it's not going to stop at 12 <laughs> weeks. It didn't stop at 12 weeks last time. But I had convinced myself that maybe, just maybe. So when week 13 went by and it still hadn't stopped, and then we're now at week 14, I was like, I was at my lowest point. Um and I was thinking of strategy to make this sickness stop. And part of that strategy, which was absolutely ridiculous, was if I fall over, just maybe, just maybe, I'll shock my body. Yeah. And which is absolutely ridiculous. And I talk about it in my book, I just say, look, if I had fallen down the stairs, I, I, you know, I could have died. The baby could have died. But more so, I could have just ended up with a broken limb yeah. and still been vomiting. And that would have been even worse because now I can't move, <laughs> even if I want to, mm-hmm. and I'll still be being sick and I'll be more of a burden. So it just didn't, you know, I started thinking in a way that didn't even make sense. Um, yeah. and, 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 you know, maternal mental health is real, you know, and what I didn't know that was whilst you're pregnant, you can go through such things. I just thought I didn't even know about it, if I'm honest. 
Um, and those thoughts, you know, even though it was a flippant thought and it went away quite quickly and I was able to, you know, there was people around me, I was able to kind of just push it to the side, that thought happened and that shouldn't have happened. Yeah. So I'm quite aware that I was at a very, very, very low point um, and I'd had enough of being sick and being a burden. What, um, talk to me about your support system. You know, being yeah. in such a low place, you, I can only imagine you would need a support system around you, friends, family, your partner. Yeah. What was that like? You know, were they as supportive, <clears throat> were they as supportive as you expected them to be? Or were there a little bit of disappointment? Was there, um, what was that like? What was that relationship Do you know like? what? It's really interesting. The first pregnancy, I would say, was hard because no one knew what hypermesis was. Um, and I think, you know, my main circle was my mum, my sister, my dad, um, my brother-in-law, my brother and my husband. And so that's that circle of people, you know, and other family members, of course. But I mean, those were the ones that were seeing me very often. Um, and that circle of people, they just couldn't understand what was happening. It was like the soundtrack to, to, to my life was vomiting. You could hear me vomiting turn up the tv because you know Rachel's going to be upstairs vomiting and it's just going to be annoying it's going to even it got to the point where it's just a backdrop of sound um and I think for the first time everyone's just really confused as to what is happening and a bit like oh come on pull your like get yourself together like let's, let's help you to get together let's try it um and I think the miscarriage actually shocked everybody into realizing, hey ho, this high premises thing is very serious. Yes. Um, and I had a lot of um, external family come in and be like, try this, do this, touch this, mm-hmm. you know, lick this, smell this. In Ghana, we did this, and over here, we did this. And I, I, I was literally looking at them helpless as if to say, but okay. I've done all those things, you know, my mom has helped me try all those things and it never worked. And so that's where I was disappointed with the, with the, you know, the, the, the individuals around because they all wanted to put their mouth on the you know on the situation or, or say something about how to deal with it and that just made it more difficult um but I needed to be empowered in a way to express that actually no I don't need any advice this is what it is this is how my sickness is I don't need your advice and so by the time we got to the second pregnancy where my family were now aware I've lost a baby. Nobody, nobody should say anything to her. Leave her alone because she's been through a whole lot. Um, so they, they started to protect me. So if someone said something, they'll be like, no, 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 hers is different. No, 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 you, she, she's done that. And, and that was very helpful. Um, you know, no one, none of, like my mom and everybody, they never really said anything negative to me. It was more people that were outside of the everyday living. I even have an auntie who came, who came over, bless her, she was so lovely. She came over and she works in midwifery and she said, you know, oh, this and this and this. But she sat with me for 20 minutes and watched what I was, what was happening to me. She went, no, yours is high premises and you can't all these things we're saying forget it that's not what you need to do and that was reassuring as well um and then the 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 other um, main support of help was my cousin they lived quite close um to where I live and I would they would literally let me lie on their sofa all day in the morning I'd wake up I'd be at their house I'd lie there all day my husband would be on his way home I'd go home so we had a system to look after me and my daughter um and that really, really helped. But if I um, 
<laughs> draw my attention to my family overseas. So, like, my in-law, she had no clue what was going on. She just didn't understand why I was so ill. And one minute she'll call and they'll say I'm here and I'm being sick. The next minute I'm in hospital. She was just like, what is this? And there was this term that often got flipped around, you know, oh, Rachel, she has bad pregnancies. Yeah, I would say they are very difficult pregnancies too, but it's a condition and not many people knew what it was. So I had to deal with that. If anything negative, I just had to deal with the, the raising awareness and making people understand what it was. Um, more than you know anything else but luckily I had a good network support around me that would protect me from some of that Um, and they yeah they would protect me from some of that with my husband (laughs) I think he was just scared I think he was scared so he just was just cotton wooling me like if I went into hospital he's in the hospital with me if I come out of hospital he's like okay so how many days have I got to be around he wouldn't just leave me he would try and get me somewhere to have help if he needed to go out or if he needed to go work um and even then his work he would try and twist it and switch it so that my mum when my mum was off I was with her and stuff it was like being going to daycare (laughs) I had to be looked after but um I think he was scared I think the miscarriage really threw him off and made him really really worried about me being sick and to be honest now when I mentioned to him about having another child his face alone (laughs) is like he's like boo don't you know what we went through (laughs) he looks scared um and and I guess men men often get left out of that conversation they get left out of of the whole childbirth um trauma um but yeah he 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 definitely looks very scared and he doesn't like that conversation at all (laughs) um talk to us a little bit about your first port of call with healthcare professionals like when did it get to the stage where you thought no this is not right I need to speak to someone about this I need to go to the GP and try and get this sorted out because this is not okay and I can't cope with this yeah so when I uh fell pregnant the first time I think it was about week five or six and I'd already been being sick and it was just getting a bit silly so I went to the GP to kind of confirm the pregnancy and then express my concerns about the vomiting and the GP was just kind of like yeah but when you're pregnant you vomit like it's it's normal um and I felt really silly you know like I felt really silly. Like, of course you vomit when you're pregnant. But for some reason, I knew then that my vomiting was more than it should be. Um, and then telling the doctor, I think it was week eight and nine, I, I went back again, I think. And uh, telling the doctor and them just saying, basically, you know, it's normal sickness. Like, this is normal. Uh, and then eventually the GP did give me something. Uh, give me some anti uh, anti-emetic uh, anti-sickness tablets but guess what I didn't understand what was happening to me mm-hmm. so I came home with those tablets told my African family about these tablets and it was and even myself when we were all concluded that a pregnant woman doesn't take medication yeah but then what did I go to the GP for then do you get what I mean so it was a bit of a 
a battle that I went through. And I think I tried to take the tablets once or twice, but I didn't like how it made me feel. And I just felt confused because the GP said being sick as a pregnant woman is normal. I know pregnant women are not supposed to take medication like that. And I I know that my sickness is more than it's supposed to be. But guess what? I didn't get the education as to what is happening to me for me to be able to even begin to identify how to move forward. So if I had a diagnosis of HG at that time, you know, Google would have been my friend. I would have looked up HG and I would have said, right, there's this problem here because there's this condition and I'm going to have to take these tablets. Um, so I think that was my initial interaction with this whole process that kind of put me on the back foot. So I was going, going through this and not taking the medication. So by the time I got to hospital, um, on week 11, I'd been being, being sick for weeks in a way that was very dangerous. Um, and my sister looked at me and said, no, 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 you are on your, like, you're, you're going out. So, I'm going to drop you to the hospital. And actually, when she got to the hospital, um, she got me out of the car. She was just trying to confirm my name. And I literally just passed out um, and got a, and literally got rushed round. It was so fast. I got rushed round. I don't even remember most of that bit. I got rushed round, put on a bed, put on a drip. And they were like ketones, you know, and it was really bad. It was dangerous um and that's when I thought right okay so between that week eight nine ten eleven I've been at some serious risk um and had my GP just explained to me that this is a condition or or even given me a diagnosis maybe my response to what was happening would be different um and then in the hospital I think we went about two or three days trying to control the sickness um and 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 the consultant came around and this lovely consultant, I, I still see him um in 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 the hospitals when I had my when I had my kids, I kept seeing him around. So I really, really love him because I'm like, you're the person that helped me. Yeah. <laughs> um but he yeah, I think it was on the third day he came and he said, Listen, this is not working. You are not going, you're not getting back from where we want you to get back to. And we can't leave you like this. So we're gonna have to go up level you know we're gonna have to step up the medication and put you on some steroids um because you have this condition called hypermesis and that was my first diagnosis Mm. um honestly it was it was an eye-opener because I had no idea about it um but what happened from there was say I got the diagnosis on the Wednesday or the I think it was on the Wednesday or the Thursday I was out of hospital by the Friday evening to go and manage at home yeah um so I had no time to get educated up on HG because I lost the baby on the Saturday do you see what I mean so I got my diagnosis started feeling pains in my body told the midwives that were um, the staff that were on the ward the nurses on the ward they said you know potentially you've got um you're tired and you know pain from just being sick so much to go and sleep but I couldn't sleep when I kept waking up from the pain um, but I still got discharged on the Friday, uh, got home and I was still in pain. And I remember my dad saying to me, uh, why have you come here with this, your problem? Why didn't you stay there so that they can help you with the problem? Because we don't know what to do. And he was really, really cross. He was like, I don't, 
understand why he <laughs> left the place of help to come back here and be rolling on the floor. Like, he couldn't get it. It was like, <laughs> you know, Ghanaian man, he was like, ah, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and he was like, no, 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 you should have stayed there with the people that know what to do. Um, so I think I came home and I was rolling all around the floor. I was in so much pain. Um, and, and again, just, just putting it down to, okay, I've got this condition called high premises that makes you really sick. So that's probably what it is. Um, little did I know that those pains were actually contractions. Went into hospital the next day and they explained to me, you know, you're actually contracting, but your cervix is closed and it's all just a bit strange what's happening. Um, obviously, I was losing my baby, which was just traumatic. Um, I don't think that needed to happen. I don't think I should have left hospital. I shouldn't have left hospital with the pain. You, I probably, you know, would have still miscarried. If I was already having the pains on Thursday, I probably yeah. would have still miscarried. But why did I have to go home to go and suffer and come back the next day only after I had spent the whole morning in pain again? And I was saying to my dad, the same the same dad that's like, can you take your problem back to the hospital? I was saying to him, dad, can you help me go toilet? As in, you know, bowel movement. Yeah. And he was like, how can I possibly help you to go toilet? What are you talking here? I was delirious. I was just acting crazy and he said to me what are you talking about like what is this you're acting really strange what's happening and he said look no 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 you need to go to hospital then my mum came and stood and watched me and watched how I was um, behaving and she said she's pushing no 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 you need to stop pushing and it was like I was we say it in I don't even know how really had to say it in English um like you're squeezing yeah. Like you're pushing something, yeah. You, it, it was really strange. So, did and you know at this point that you were miscarrying? Had no you... idea. I wanted to go poo. Yeah, that's what I wanted to do. <laughs> I had no idea that what I was doing was pushing. If I even had an idea, I think I probably would have fainted from fear. I was just thinking I need to poo. I was in pain. Yes. I was feeling sick and throwing up, yes. I have high premises, yes. But I'm a pregnant woman, yes. Mm. But I need to poo. So my cousin randomly popped around. She, she came in. She saw me screaming about needing to poo. She was like, okay, let me go and get you some prune juice. Ran to the shop, got the prune juice. And my mum was like, no, 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 hold on a minute. Some, she's pushing. Yeah. And then we rushed to hospital, got there. And it was, you know, it it. it even though my cervix was closed when I got there, it was too late either way. Baby had no heartbeat, which was just traumatic for me. Yeah. Um, after fighting such a good fight, going through all those hospital yes. um, injections and stuff to try and stay hydrated and then only to come home and the next day lose the baby. I think my whole, this whole process of my first experience with HG was traumatic enough. You know, it was traumatic enough. They're not going to tell you that you lost a baby because of HD, because how how can we say that you lost a baby because of HD? But why did I lose my baby? Yeah. Did you um, have anyone to, that you called to speak to, like a counsellor at the time? You know, did you have any, <laughs> any was, mental health support? Don't ask me that question. <laughs> um, do you know what? I, my family, you know, 
pasta and 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 friends it was that they were all amazing um but my pasta was like look this girl is going to need some help with what she's just experienced so we must arrange um some therapy and um we arranged some therapy and finally i got the call to come to this therapy and i got there and the the the, the 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 mental health worker um she was like oh my goodness you are so beautiful i said oh thank you said, you look amazing i was like okay thank you and she asked me some few questions and she just said you know what you look so vibrant you look so good you look so well so basically how i had presented myself at this um appointment kind of made the lady just think I was okay Mm. we didn't really go any nitty-gritty um and I don't think I opened up quick enough because I just think she was just telling me how fabulous I was like oh okay I'm fabulous (laughs) oh okay I look nice oh okay so I didn't even really go deep deep that at night time when I close my eyes sometimes I have to open my eyes again because I remember what I was going through that night when I didn't go to theatre and I wouldn't take morphine and I put myself through the most traumatic miscarriage and that was my doing because I was making decisions that I thought would protect a baby. But what, why am I protecting a baby that's already, you know, no longer there? So I needed to have that conversation. I needed to talk about the fact that I made this a bit more traumatic for myself than I needed to. Um, I wouldn't take morphine. My husband was very against morphine because he lost a family member from some some mishap to do with um, how much morphine the person had. So there was a there was a miscommunication or something to do with how much morphine the person had, and then the person passed away. So for him, he's like morphine. If you say the word morphine, he's like, mm, uh, I'm not sure. So we went through a lot of difficult time in that miscarriage, and I needed to talk about that. But because I went to this appointment and I looked great and I looked fabulous, we didn't have that conversation. Mm. And that's where my mental health support ended. That was it. One appointment with me looking fabulous. And that was it. Was this something <laughs> provided by the NHS or was this a private? Yes. No, it's by the NHS. Um, and I, do you know what? I looked fabulous because I had... Uh, I found myself looking in the mirror and seeing myself very different Mm. I'd lost a lot of weight and my skin tone had changed to me um other people didn't really see it so two weeks after having that um miscarriage I found that my skin color was going I found that I was bleeding so much um but I didn't know what a miscarriage looks like Mm. I didn't know bleeding after childbirth or a miscarriage looks like so I was just bleeding a lot I was changing my pad a lot and no one really checked that so how would I tell anybody you know instead of instead of trying to do this natural way maybe I should have just gone to theatre in the first place you know and there was a lot of regrets and and I felt bad for my husband as well because he went through a trauma that maybe he didn't need to have I mean obviously we lost a baby that's that's trauma in itself but then staying up all night with me in a room watching me suffer in the way that I did maybe we should have just gone to theatre 
and just not you know and just reduced all the risks that I gave myself um but yeah it's all maybes isn't it so these are the things that I would have liked to have spoken to about a therapist and really unpicked them before I even entered another pregnancy did you have did you seek um therapy after um the miscarriage so the miscarriage I had that first therapy with the woman who told me I looked beautiful okay and then with my pregnancy after that because I had the baby I didn't go and see anybody um and with my son which was my last pregnancy yeah um, I came out of it and and I I just assumed that when I come out of the pregnancy, I'd give birth, I'd have my lovely baby and that would be it. But I had so much trauma um, lingering in me from all these high premises incidences mm. and then from all the things that come off from the high premises. It got to a point where, it, it, you know, I went to an event by um, Prosperities and they were talking all about... Um, you know, perinatal mental health and talking about birth trauma. So going into labor and and the really scary things that can happen in labor and, and how people have now really, you know, developed PTSD because of it and stuff like that. And I'm sitting there listening to them and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, well, this isn't for me. You know, I don't have postnatal depression. I just came here to support prosperities and I'm going to do a little bit of, you know, networking and stuff. But as I'm sitting there, I'm listening to everybody and I'm thinking, hold on a minute this is what I've been going through I'm sitting here I've just had a baby but I'm worried about so many ridiculous things that no one else would probably be worried about and I know that that's because of my trauma from giving birth and so as the sessions went on and I was listening to all the different speakers and I was starting to realize you can have uh, mental health issues whilst you're pregnant I was like okay right okay so I definitely had those yeah and then afterwards because of what I've experienced you could have PTSD and I was like oh well maybe that's what's making me very anxious you know that's making me think about things that I don't really need to think about right now because they're not even relevant right now you know I gave birth and was thinking about when am I going back to work and it's like huh you know what's that I lost a lot of my memories of my son because I was busy just being anxious and stressed out about just anything else mm-hmm. um and I now currently look at videos and pictures to try and remember things that happened in his first six months because I was just my head was just everywhere thinking about loads of other stuff and it's literally PTSD um so I went and I went back to the NHS and I said listen I need some help with this I waited a while I- I'm not gonna lie it did take a little while but then I got um I got booked on to six, eight sessions. Is it six sessions or eight? I think it was eight sessions of um, support with a a therapist. Um, But significantly, when I was given the therapist that would look after me, he was, it was a man. And I was on my high horse. I was like, no, he's not going to understand my situation. You know, And in the back of my head, I'm not going to lie. I was thinking the person's unlikely to be black. So they probably won't get all the cultural issues that are there. I'll deal with that but less a man that's going to be even worse because he's never never going to even have a period to even know what (laughs) some of the pains that we have do you know what I mean I was I was trying to figure out if a man could help me in my situation because my thing my situation is all about 
my reproductive situation. So he hasn't had that. Um, so luckily for me, I had someone check me on that. And she was, you know, the allocation manager. She said, look, let this person have this session. The session is not about the person that's doing the session with you. It's about you. And they will lead you through what they need to lead you through, whether they're a man or a woman. And I was like, all right, all right. I've waited long enough. Let me just go and give this a shot. Um, and I remember being quite nervous. And I went in and I sat with him and we talked for the first session. By the second session, I went back and he had done all this research into HG. And I was so happy because you know what? He had no preconceptions of what it was. He had no idea of what being pregnant was like. So he couldn't say to me, oh, yeah, I had morning sickness too. No, HG is not morning sickness. I don't want to hear that. No one should tell me that. It's not that. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't have that problem with him. So he took everything as it was. Everything as I said it was what he took it as. There was no need for me to justify my pain or my experience against his experience there was none of that it was very very nice um and it was it was fantastic I had the best therapist and it was just the best thing I could have done and it changed my whole life (laughs) um and I think a lot of women should consider it if they've gone through something like this yeah yeah absolutely I mean at the moment are you considering having any more children where are you at? Ooh, that? <laughs> that old question. Um, okay, so here's the thing. I always wanted six children. Uh, my whole family know I wanted six children. I spoke about it so much that it was just, it was almost weird when I hadn't had a child. Everyone was like, what's going on? Why are you not having your baby? Um, so High Premises shut that all the way down. Um, and if I'm honest, I would love love with my whole being to just have more children um my friend always says to me there's one more left in you come on you there's what we've got we've got one more pregnancy coming for you we know it you know she's always saying it um I would love to but you know what the strategy the planning behind it has to be so organized otherwise you know it's going to be too difficult so when I mean strategy and planning I mean we fly in my mother-in-law I know don't all scream at once who wants to live with their (laughs) mother-in-law but you know fly in my mother-in-law who can just literally be here 24 7 with the kids um and also maintaining you know the food and the house um because I literally am out of of um of action for for most of the pregnancy and and then there's the thought of maybe I won't get HG, but then then I remind myself that I probably will. So basically, the long and the short answer to your thing is no, not right now. Yeah. I, I ca- cannot physically make make my mind go there because the battle that I have with myself with am I going to be able to align everything for it to happen? It's just too difficult. Um, and and that in itself is something that I really need to deal with and I need to have some therapy on that as well because I need to talk that out I need to talk out my concerns and my feelings my husband's response to it is very different to mine Um, I'm kind of like but that's what I want and should I let HG get me down should I let HG keep me under arrest 
and then the other side of me is like Rach like you've got to you've got to take things as they are like why are you trying to force it and is wanting a baby forcing it it's a lot Mm. (laughs) it's a lot of um you know and and and, you know people will talk as well when you get pregnant oh dear here we go if you just say that alone you've already made me sad you know and at the moment I vomit I'm gonna think oh no uh, there's a lot to think about there's there is a lot to think yeah, about and there's the financial element of it as well isn't there oh the financial like yeah financial is a big big thing um you know you're going to the hospital and your midwife is saying to, i had a really really good midwife um and i had a mid the uh the same midwife for my son and my daughter her name was thea she was amazing um so i would see her and she'd be like wait you know you, you can't go to work like you actually physically cannot no longer go to work you need to stop and she'll be saying all of this but she'll know the financial implications yeah and she would try to empower me to make sure I know what my financial situation would be and kind of she was more than a midwife she was just so amazing she made sure that I fought out what I was doing but that I put my health and my baby first and um that was amazing but I I do appreciate that not a lot of women can do that not a lot of women can just say well I'm not going to go to work but HD doesn't allow for that it doesn't allow for you to have a financial problem it will strip you back that you can have a financial problem but you still got HD you got to deal with that mm. well, so your work quite, well your work quite understanding um with my first um my first um two pregnancies so the miscarriage and um and my daughter, because I had been there before having, because <laughs> I'd been there before getting married, they kind of came along the whole journey with me. So they were, it was like a family. <laughs> yeah. So kind of everyone was just desperate for me to have a baby because I'd been banging on about it before I even had a husband. Um, so it was like a quite a different experience to when I was working with my son because there it was kind of like everyone was trying to care for one another and care for me because they knew my situation they saw me go through a miscarriage situation and you know they were very supportive with the second time around most people didn't even know what what on earth it was and they didn't know me I hadn't been there long so it was kind of like okay there's this new lady she's really cool we like her she's cool like we get along and then now she's really sick and then she's disappeared and what's happening? And they didn't even know what HG was. And I didn't even have time to really explain it to you because guess what? I didn't even know I was pregnant. So <laughs> it was just like a whirlwind. Um, and I was going through so much emotions with that and trying to raise a two-year-old and all of that. It was just too much. It was yeah. a different experience. But at work, I think for anyone that's listening to this that has HG or is dealing with a, a, you know, a patient that's got HG, um hg is a debilitating condition you need to be going into your employers and you need to be sending them to the websites to look at what it is and you need to be arming yourself with the knowledge as to what you can and can't do you need to be figuring out whether you can contact occupational health and get them to put a statement in for you as to what you're experiencing because many employers have never heard of this condition before you're pregnant yes they shouldn't touch you anyway with regards to disciplining you with your sickness and stuff like that because you have your because you're pregnant. However, with HG, you might be late every day. You might need to leave every other week. 
they need to know that that's what HD can do to you. Otherwise, they're going to just be looking at you like, what's happening? So I know it's not our responsibility to make people care for us in the way they should in such a you know debilitating situation, but you're going to have to give a little. And I encourage women to always say, look, find out what your work policies are and let them know what HG is. As soon as you get that diagnosis, let them know what it is. Then after that, it's their business to go and do extra research. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, I read your book and honestly, I was just so, just the insight into what it was, what it means, how it affects your life was just tremendous. I had never heard about it myself. And, mm. you know, being a student midwife myself, I hadn't even had that teaching yet. So literally, yeah. when I read the book, I was learning everything firsthand. And I literally thank you so much because you've taught me about what it means. And so therefore, I can empathise you know, yeah. with you when you talk to me about your experience. And I think that's so important um, as healthcare professionals for us to understand what it's like for our patients who are dealing with yeah. HG in, in, in pregnancy. And yeah. yeah, I just really wanted to touch... Um, you know touch on um, a bit about your daughter you talk to me you talk in the book about how your daughter was such um like she was a help to you when you were yeah. pregnant she was there she yeah. was assisting with a few things even though she was young she still had an influence <laughs> yeah, how did she how did she help you during that during that time she was amazing and I'm willing up just thinking about how amazing she was because oh she she was a baby you know, she was a baby. Um, she would. Um, I'm so sorry. <laughs> she would. Um, she was very articulate at a young age, and by sort of, I want to say, 18 months, she was near enough toilet trained, um, potty trained, and um, so there was a lot. She was very mature, um, and she was in uh, nursery, so. She could tell me, she could ask me, Mummy, okay, you know, and she could she could say, Mummy's sick and stuff like that. Mm. So she would uh, look at me and figure out whether I can or cannot help her. <laughs> and she yeah. would get the bucket rather for me. And she would bring the bucket to me and uh, and uh, and help me to to be sick. And she would even go and get tissue. Probably pull the tissue from all the way upstairs, all the way downstairs. But she'd go and get tissue. Um, she would do so many little things. She'd come and cuddle me randomly. And when probably at a point when I just didn't feel great. Um, and if you asked her at her young age or two years when she got to two, if you said to her, "What does mommy do?" She'll say, "Mommy does it." Yeah, <laughs> like it came a little song that she did. Say, "Mummy yeah. does it," because that's what she saw me do for the whole time, and it was um, she was amazing. She just found a way to look after herself whilst I was just lying there, mm-hmm. um, and I'd give her food and stuff. But we we struck, you know, I struggled with caring for her because her nappy would make me so sick. The one from overnight would make me want to just, bleh, oh, it was yeah. horrible. So my husband would change her before he'd go to work, even if she was asleep, and just take that nappy away because yeah. that one was always just the worst. Um, and we just have to pray that she didn't go do anything between the time I needed to get her to nursery um, and the time I you know got her ready like wiped her down and all that stuff I'd do it around all of that like I couldn't open that nappy. Oh, um and then 
if if he if he had changed it, then I'd be able to open it the nappy and give her like a full down full wash. But it was difficult because mm. um, if she did a poo, woo, we we ain't getting to nursery till ten o'clock because I'm gonna be being sick. Um, and just knowing that sometimes I'd want to give her a hug, but I'd be scared that the smell would get me. <laughs> And so I'd be like, oh, gosh. Um, and her food, she had to eat what I could manage to give her. Yeah. If it was, say, like, she wanted, I don't know, baked beans or something. If that was one of on my hit list of smells that was going to make me sick, you're not having baked beans until I give birth. So you're going to have, I don't know, spaghetti hoops instead. You know, like, I had to adapt yeah. um, her care to what I could manage and and she couldn't go out she couldn't you know there's lots of things she couldn't go to so family would come and get her and take her um but she was just such a star uh she actually was my care (laughs) I mean um what advice do you have for women who have HD and they're just like I can't with this I don't even know if I'm going to continue this pregnancy. Yeah. Like, what's wrong with me? You know, all the feelings that you can resonate with. What advice do you have, woman to woman, for them? Yeah. So, I mean, quite a, uh, you know, uh, quite a, 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 a many women do actually have to or, or do find themselves in a situation where they feel to terminate their pregnancy, and I think that's a decision you have to make um and and it's effect there's so many factors that would make you make that decision for me personally I would always encourage you to try and get through it because I did and I think we can all get through it somehow but it's very difficult and I think that choice is down to the person so if you've decided to go on and continue um in the pregnancy every single day is one step closer to giving birth and I think that's what we have to hold on to get through today just focus on today get through today because that brings you closer to your due date or your you know how whether you're being induced or whatever's happening and just try and focus on getting through that day um you're not broken you're not um not working it's just that for some reason our bodies like to amplify our pregnancy (laughs) and um and and this is where we are and and hopefully one day someone will find a way to to deal with this during pregnancy but for now take your medication especially black and asian women um and minority ethnics in our in you know in our in our families in our um home countries and you know back home they don't do it this way and we know that but unfortunately we are here and we have a help so let's take it and let's protect ourselves and our baby by taking that medication to stay hydrated and to try and not end up in hospital you will still be sick but at least you have reduced the amount you'll be sick and I know we all scream natural you know no medication and stuff but honey (laughs) sweetheart this one we have to get some help and that is just it um and you know and the final thing I'll say is block out any voice that isn't helping you even if that's your own mother and I say that with my whole chest if somebody is going to be talking in your ear and you can hear that it's not helping you and it's making you feel worse get rid of that sound because 
or find a way. I mean, you can't just get rid of your mum. She's going to come and see you or, you know, your mother-in-law. But just let your, put in your head that what they're saying, they mean no malice. They mean no harm to me, but they just don't get me at this point. And that's fine. And just try and block it out somehow. Um, because I think that makes it a little bit harder. Um, and seek seek mental health support if you feel yourself unable to control your thoughts or if you realise your thoughts are becoming quite negative. Um, seek some mental health support. It's not taboo. It's what you need. It's, it's for you. It's there yeah. for you, yeah. you know? So those are the things I'd probably say to a woman with HG. Um, you know, it's... Um, it's a, it's a difficult condition to have it is um but we will get through it and we do get through it you know i i i have two children who are roaming around here like <laughs> making mess and i'm always looking at them thinking you people you didn't even know what i went through but anyway <laughs> that's for um, another day <laughs> that's for another day um and to be honest you know i'm just praying that my daughter doesn't get hg because i'm looking at all this theories you know genetics and stuff and I'm thinking exactly. oh God, I hope that she doesn't get it you know yeah. so but yeah we're coming to an end now Rachel and um I just want to say thank you so much for being so open so transparent with us in the book and today um you know we really look forward to seeing where you're gonna go and what you're gonna do with you know your book and your story and you know we look forward to connecting again if people oh. want to um find out more about you um where can they find out more about you where can we purchase your book you know okay information please okay perfect so um my books are on amazon so i have um the what about adwa book which is about my daughter transitioning into being a big sister that's on amazon so if you just search rachel boabing on amazon um all the books that i have will come under there so my um hg book and my children's book is on um, amazon um but if you want to connect with me i'm on instagram at rachel.boabing twitter boabing rachel um and if you want to get involved with being a part of the mums network and just meetups and you know zooms where we just chat and you know events and free content which just talks about motherhood then you can follow me on at mummies underscore day underscore out which is on instagram and we also have a website mummiesdayout.com and yeah just connect the dms are always open they are always open we try to maintain an open dm so that mothers all around london essex kent wherever you are we can all just still connect and, and have chats. So yeah, that's how you can get hold of me. Amazing. Thank you so much, Rachel. Thanks for having me. You're welcome.